With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another off-season edition of the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Pittsburgh Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tom Reed, uh, joined by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. And a little bit later, we will be joined by the Lightning Insider, Eric Erlinson. Uh, he's going to be uh, discussing all things Tampa Bay Lightning as we get you set for uh, what we hope is a, 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 an enjoyable Stanley Cup final. By the time you probably are listening to our podcast tonight, uh, game one will probably be decided by then. Uh, and of course, it's the Canadians, the underdog Canadians against the defending champion, uh, Lightning. And uh, gang, let's kind of start there. We'll get to uh, our player evaluation. It's going to be Marcus Pedersen in a couple minutes. But let's start with the big news, uh, Stanley Cup final. I don't think any of us are surprised that the Lightning are participating in the one side. Uh, I think there's a lot of surprise that the uh, Canadians have made it this far. But Taylor, I kind of remember you saying that if there was a, when we were talking about the last round, if there was one team that could finish it off, it might be uh, Montreal. Are you ready to go another round here? You ready? Are you ready to give Canada its first Stanley Cup since 93? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to, yeah, it was the last episode I did before I went on vacation. We were talking about, you know, if we had to pick an underdog to make it out of the semifinal round, who would it be? And I said the Canadians. And I recall both of you said the Islanders. So I just want that on yes, the record. Yes. Um, yeah, and yep. I, I remember when in, in my reasoning, I said Carey Price. I, I just couldn't bet against Carey Price. Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to, I'll stick with the Canadians. Uh, I find it, this, this is going to be the most exciting goaltender matchup we've seen. The two best goaltenders, um, in the league and in the, in the world uh, with Vasilevsky on, on the lightning, but uh, I'm just going to, I'll stick with the underdog. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> the first uh, Canadian Stanley Cup in my lifetime, it would be because I was born in 94. So <laughs> I'll stick with that. Dave, let's, let's stick with, t- t- talk on Carey Price for a minute. Um, because Carey Price certainly came into the league with a lot of fanfare and certainly lived up to that fanfare uh, for many years. I don't think he's had a great ever had a great team around him, and I don't think this is a great team around him. But he's finally kind of made it. Uh, has he kind of had a enjoyed a little bit of a renaissance here the last couple seasons, at least on the NHL level? You know, he's he's won everything you could win on in the international level, but this is his finally has gotten his over the hump, so to speak, as far as getting the monkey off his back in the playoffs, has it not? Yeah, I mean, he's played very well. He He's benefited in each of the past two playoffs from a team that plays pretty stifling defense, you know, in front of him. Uh, I, I don't think anybody, including uh, Canadians GM Mark Bergevin, would tell you that Montreal's roster compares favorably to Tampa Bay's, but they play 
as tenacious a team defense as I've seen in a lot of years. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of the devils of the mid nineties, uh, with just, uh, they make you fight for every inch of ice. It's not a very entertaining style, but it, as evidenced by them being in the finals, it can be a pretty effective one when, when you execute it well. And, you know, it's great that uh, on those occasions when they make a mistake, uh, Carey Price has been there to erase most of them. Uh, you know, he's played very well. I, I think that his, uh, his game was appreciated, you know, inside the industry long before the past two years. But, uh, Montreal success in the playoffs against the Penguins a year ago, and then you know getting all the way to the the finals this year, I I think certainly uh, adds some validation in the eyes of some people on the outside. Yeah, it's really nice to see it. It it, it really is. It's it's again, it was one of those things where you always wonder with a player, and I, and I'll and I'll kind of bring up this analogy: Henrik Lundqvist, uh, very similar to had a long run of success, but could never get the Rangers to the final. And they finally did in 2014. In fact, this kind of reminds me of that that scenario, which they the Rangers kind of relied on, uh, you know, a really quick team. Uh, their offense wasn't tremendous, but they had some speed. They could score a few goals, and then they just rode their defensive play, and then just ran into a Kings team that was far superior. I do wonder if that's going to be the case here. But uh, Taylor has. Have you enjoy, how much have you enjoyed just watching this play out as far as you know the history? I know you're younger, but you know the history of, of Canada and their inability to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, how, how kind of fun is it from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, because all the talk heading into the playoffs was how weak the North Division is. And so, okay, you know, they're, they're not going to make it beyond, you know, one of, one of those teams has to come out of it, but then, you know, they're going to be the first one out. First of all, I don't think no one would have predicted that the Canadians would have been the team to come out of the North Division, but then to have them make the final. um, I I don't think anyone saw this coming. And it's been really cool to see uh, the response in Canada. I don't know. I'm friends with like a lot of like French Canadian people on Facebook, like parents of prospects and stuff like that. Um, And just seeing how excited they are. And I, if you remember when they, um, when they knocked out Vegas, what it was, it was at home. And they had to lock down the arena for for a bit because it was too crazy outside. The fans were going too nuts. Um, yeah, so just seeing that and and like the storylines. I mean, we you just mentioned Carey Price, but I mean, and his resurgence and his last five series clinching games, he's five and zero. He has a point nine nine goals against average, nine six seven save percentage, two shutouts. He's been incredible. And then just some of the younger players that have been stepping up for them. Um, smaller skilled players, uh, Cole Caulfield. Uh, Guys like that stepping up, I, I, I think it's a lot of really cool storylines coming out of Montreal. Dave, it just—I I don't remember a game, a series that went five or six games or more, you know, five, six, seven games that featured so many breakaways. The Canadians, one of the things they were able to do was withstand, uh, you know, withstand all of that uh, talent that 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 the Golden Knights had, and they just seemed like they were getting breakaways left and right and and and, and cashing in. Well, they counterattack very effectively, and I suspect that they would hope to do that against Tampa Bay as well. I'm I'm not uh, convinced by any means that they will have nearly as much success against the Lightning as they did against the Golden Knights, but uh, I, I suppose that's why they play the game. 
All right, I have I have picked against the Canadians in every series, so maybe that's their good luck charm. I'm and I'm going to do it again. I would pick the uh, I would pick the Lightning in six games here, Dave. What, what what's your thoughts? Well, I have done the same, and uh, there's you know, will I break with a good thing? I uh, go with the Lightning in five or six games. Take your pick, Taylor. Habs in seven. There you go. She's riding the riding her Habs. All right, uh, let's let's bring it back a little bit more locally. Uh, you know, we, we've gone through this uh, through the course of the summer. We're looking uh, player evaluations, uh, and we're going to today with uh, continue that today with uh, go back to the defensive side and Marcus Pedersen. Uh, Taylor, your thoughts on on Pedersen's regular season, and then we'll get into his playoffs in a minute. Uh, Overall, what did you think of the, the way that he performed this year? It's the defense as a whole was just so streaky with, you know, like the injuries they had. And some guys ended up playing more minutes than they were supposed to or with partners that they weren't used to. So it's kind of hard to judge um, the regular season because that went on for a long time. Uh, Pedersen himself was part was part of that. He was injured. Um, I, I think this is a step back from from last season. Um especially, you know, given the options they have on the left side now. Um, Pedersen seemed to be the weak link. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if, you know, he's someone that – if he can rebound next season and, and step up because he <laughs> he does have a pretty significant ca- uh, cap hit. I think it was $4 million ish in that range. Um, but the the way he stepped back in the regular season, I didn't think he lived up to his, his – cap hit and I think you know moving forward um something like P.O. Joseph might be a better option so I I've been talking about this for a while that Pedersen would be my pick to be moved out um this offseason to free up you know cap space and and you know a roster spot but uh he just didn't show enough in the regular season to to justify you know keeping around with his cap hit. Dave uh two goals seven assists nine points plus eight uh so your standard stats in 47 games it seemed like I can remember multiple times on this show where we would talk about him and just like uh, they need more from him. Do um, you agree with with Taylor? Is, is he, he's maybe one of these guys? We talk about things of the what the front office could do. Someone that that you might think about moving. I think you know it's not out of the question that that Seattle would claim him in the expansion draft. I oh, okay. don't think there are too many scenarios under which the Penguins would protect him. And if Seattle concludes that uh, last season was an aberration, that his pretty lackluster performance was the exception rather than the rule, you know, and, and that he's capable of playing at or above the level he had previously, he might not be a bad guy to add. He's, he's certainly uh, not old. He's got, uh, you know, he's got a what should be a number of, of years ahead of him. And if he can play to the level that he had reached previously, his cap hit, which I believe is just a hair over $4 million, you know, wouldn't be unmanageable. Yeah. Um, Dave pretty much covered it. Uh, I <laughs> I don't know if – because if you're going to move him out, I think you'd have to do it this offseason, um, open up a spot for P.O. on the left side. Um, that would save them some cap. And I, I think Pio has earned a spot in the, um, in the NHL. So, and I think if you're going to move out a guy on the left side to do that, Pedersen makes the most sense. So 
uh, I still think, you know, he's, he gets moved this off season. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, that we're just getting started here on the 66 to 87 podcast. When we come back, it'll be round table time. Uh, we're going to kick around a couple of things, including some prospect uh, analysis that Taylor wrote, wrote on uh, the last couple of days, and also kind of so the disturbing story uh, that's coming out of Chicago uh, uh, with some uh, just really disturbing allegations. Uh, we will get to that on the next segment. Stick with us on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And now we have reached Dave Molinari's favorite time of the show, the round table, the award-winning round table segment. Um, uh, Taylor Haas uh, wrote an interesting piece here uh, in the last couple of days, uh, kind of looking at the prospect pool and kind of who might be the next prospect or group of prospects that get an opportunity uh, to play up with the Penguins this coming season in the past year, P.O. Joseph, Drew O'Connor, and Radim Zahorna uh, made their NHL debuts last season. Uh, this is obviously a team that, like many, are up against the cap, and they would probably welcome any kind of cheap labor that they could get if they were effective. So I want you guys to kind of go through this list here uh, that uh, Taylor provided and start with you, Taylor, since you wrote it about who possibly we could see in the lineup next season and who would make sense to be given opportunities. Yeah, my, um, so I, I picked, you know, five players who I thought would be the most likely. Um, the pool is very shallow. So uh, really not, uh, none, these guys really aren't necessarily a given. I think, you know, my two most likely um, Pullen and Lager, I, I think, they're their top four prospects right now. I still think both of them start in Wilkes-Barre. Um, I know a lot of people want them to be, you know, in the NHL to start, you know, right out of camp. I just don't think that would be very smart. Um, given, so Legere's defensive game isn't a strong pull and has a, has a better 200-foot game. Um, but they're coming from the QMJHL, which is, you know, offense first. And they're coming from really stacked teams that have the, the puck um, the possess the buck more often than not. So they haven't been in a position where they've had to defend very hard um, to begin with. And then any player when they're coming to pro hockey, most of them talk about, you know, the defensive responsibilities being the biggest adjustment. So given their situation and, you know, knowing that, I, I think both of them start in the, in the AHL. But, you know, uh, if they adjust well, they could be in line for uh, a midseason call-up. Um, my other two forwards who I picked um, are Bellarive, and uh, Bjorkvist, um, Belarus center, uh, Bjorkvist is a wing. And Legere, he plays both wings. Uh, Poulin can play both center and wing. So uh, these guys are pretty versatile. Um, Belarus took major strides last season. Um, well, this past season with Wilkes-Barre, um, he really stepped up. I think the biggest thing for him is he got faster, which is, you know, kind of the knock on him uh, in, his, in his first season. Um, he got faster, and that kind of allowed him to create more space for himself, uh, which led to increased offense. So, um, that was encouraging to see from him, uh, which uh, I think, you know, he could be in line uh, next season. And then Casper Bjorkvist, he's kind of a wild card just because he hasn't really played much in North America. He's entering his third season, um, you know, pro since signing with the Penguins. The first season he was limited to uh, six games. He tore his ACL free collision in practice. Uh, and then uh, last season, 
you know, the AHL didn't start until February. The Finnish league started on time. So he and the Penguins came to a mutual agreement to let him start to play the full year in Finland, given you know, his injury recovery. He needed that just stability and constant playing time. So he played the year in Finland when his team uh, got knocked out. Uh, he did come over to Wilkes-Barre where he played the last five games. Um, I think the biggest improvement we, we saw from him in those games compared to the limited sample size from last season was that um, his hands looked better, which was kind of his his the knock on him, which makes sense because he did work a lot on his hands because um, he wasn't able to skate for, for several months, and he did uh, work extensively, you know, skill work with, with Ty Hennis from afar. Um, and then I, I picked a defenseman. Um, it, Cam Lee, so my, my list was guys who make their, their debuts. Cam Lee, and then even then, he is on the left side, so that's that's tough because he is behind Pio on the on the, the depth chart, maybe Ricola too. Um, but he, he really made improvements. Last season was his first uh, as a pro. Uh, he The conversation with him coming into the season, because he is an offensive defenseman, coming out of college, was just, you know, he has to learn that risk reward and, you know, learning what he can get away with when making uh, plays offensively, and that's something that uh, JD Forrest talked a lot. He talked about it on our on our podcast that we had him on about how he really uh, grew in that regard. Um, yeah, Kimley, he's he's really fun to watch. He's very um, elusive, as I think, uh, shifty. He uh, quarterbacked uh, the power play until Pio got sent down. Then he quarterbacked the second unit. Um, he's hard to re- to read. Um, which kind of helped him helped him there. And then I think he got more feisty as the season went on. He did start fighting towards the end, uh, which was interesting to see. Um, but he, he's a guy of the defensemen who haven't made their their debuts yet. I mean, he would be my pick. The The pool is so shallow. But um, those would be my guys who I think would have the best shot of making their, their debuts next season. Dave, the prospect pool isn't deep, and I, I think this has been well-documented uh, even around the league that – teams look at uh, the penguins prospect pool as, as, as among as among the worst in the league par- partially because of as we've discussed on this show often uh, that they are often trading uh, top prospects or assets uh, to try to keep their run going I, I wouldn't think there would be a huge need unless there was another rash of injuries to get any of these guys up here right away would you uh, n- no, I mean, not the way things stand now, but I mean, you do have to remember that these personnel moves aren't made in isolation. I mean, just yeah. as you know, Seattle won't be picking its team in the expansion draft on the basis of you know who's the best player from each of the 30 teams that they'll be picking from, uh, you know, which of the prospects has the best chance of getting into the NHL lineup at some point next season will be influenced by moves the Penguins make or do not make at, at, you know, that player's uh, position or positions, you know, in the case of guys who are, are versatile. So, you know, you, you can't even just go on, on the basis of how guys performed in the American league, because, you know, there has to be an opening, for them to fill, you know, the, the next level up before you, uh, you know, can, can talk about them, them stepping into the, uh, the NHL. Is there, is there anyone here on this list that, 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 that Teller created, uh, that kind of, uh, you look at and say, boy, I, I would like to get a look at him at least even in preseason, 
Uh, is, there, is there someone that either excites you or thinks this is somebody that, that, that could have a future with the organization? Oh, I, I mean, I think they're all legit prospects. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing all of them, frankly. Um, you know, and if the Penguins are lucky, the, uh, you know, the majority of them will pan out. That would certainly help them given the, uh, the dearth of, of, you know, top-notch prospects in the organization. You know, I, th- I think uh, Poulin probably is the, the most intriguing, you know, with the, with the most potential of the bunch. But, I mean, you really have to see guys play against NHL-caliber competition before you uh, pass too much of a judgment on them. Yeah, Taylor, you want to jump back in there? You have any, any other thoughts on, on, on this group? Yeah, I... I'd, I'd like to see all of them uh, at this level, um, at least in the preseason. I, Bjorkqvist would be the guy I, I'd, I'd want to see the most just because we haven't seen him play, you know, at least in North America very much since he, in the last um, two years. Uh, I mean, he played the most in Finland in that time, but uh, he did play one preseason game um, before. Well, that would have been two seasons ago by now. Um, that's kind of the most we've, the closest we've seen him uh, play, you know, at the, uh, NHL level, so I'd 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 like to see him. Uh, he you know he's he's always been kind of an exciting prospect, mostly because um, just how his his strength and just his workout habits. Um, I I you you know but before you know this past season, I I wrote about it a, a couple times. You know, we'd see you know him posting the videos on Instagram, like uh, doing like the like hip thrust workouts, and like he's lifting like six hundred pounds, and it's crazy. Remember when Garen was you know the assistant GM? He said that Bjorkqvist um, shattered most of their fitness testing records, um, and that's not just prospects; that's like team wide. So. Uh, and then seeing just how hard he worked, you know, in his rehab process and uh, with the skill work and what he did, I, I just like to see him get rewarded for that. Um, he's he's kind of had the toughest journey out of all these guys. Um, so I'd like to see him, but uh, any of these guys, um, it would be inter- interesting to see what they could do, at least uh, the preseason. Yeah. All right. We're going to close the roundtable session out with a really kind of a disturbing, some disturbing stories uh, that are coming out of hockey uh, this week, while you know, obviously, uh, on the surface, the, the 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 main focus is the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Canadians trying to win the first cup for Canada since '93. Uh, the story that that really is making a lot of headlines right now is an ugly story that's coming out of Chicago. Uh, uh, involves a a former video coach of the team and allegations against him of uh, sexual impropriety. Uh, involving two former players and 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 just the idea that there 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 could have been uh, a cover up here uh you've heard some of the people within the organization saying it was an open secret that this had happened and why the, the question why the blackhawks never went to the police with the story uh, uh the, the, this video coach uh his name is uh i think uh Aldrich, Brad Aldrich Brad Aldrich uh, then goes on elsewhere, and there's there's more problems with him as he goes on. And it's one of those stories. If it had the Blackhawks, again, this is all allegedly, had the Blackhawks maybe reacted and stepped up and said something to the police, maybe what happens later as this guy moves along 
uh, doesn't happen. And what's interesting, Taylor, we're going to talk about something you wrote about it, and I think of something that I think a lot of people share their opinion. But even before we get to that, uh, news also this weekend of a former Penguin, uh, Frank Peterangelo, I think a longtime fan, remember Peter Angelo making the great save in Game 6 in the 91 Cup run against New Jersey. Well, he has joined a federal lawsuit against a former University of Minnesota coach, someone who's worked with Amateur Hockey Association of Illinois and USA Hockey, saying he was sexually abused when he was at college. And again, it's the same type of story where this guy was able to go from place to place and uh, the whistle was never, uh, again, allegedly blown on him. And uh, it's it's weird. It's, it's weird how this and it's really disturbing how this continues to happen. Of course, everywhere. But we've had a lot of cases like this in hockey. Taylor, your thoughts, especially on the Blackhawk story. Well, the the allegations and the lawsuits it goes beyond just just a cover up. I mean, you talk about you know like oh if they they would have reported this you know he wouldn't be able to go on. But so the first lawsuit against the Blackhawks comes from the former player, which says that um. And, and these players are anonymous, um, but from the 2010 uh, cup run that, you know, he sexually assaulted um, him and another player that was filed in early May. A second lawsuit was filed in May by a former um, high school player of Aldrich in, in Michigan. So Aldrich left the Blackhawks after the 2010 season. Um, he went on to work for Miami university as well as the high school team in Michigan. Um and when he was with that high school team in Michigan, that's when he uh, allegedly assaulted this kid when he was 16. Um, and in the reason the lawsuit is being filed against the Blackhawks by, um, you know, this former high school player is because the Blackhawks wrote a positive letter of recommendation for Aldrich. You know, I, he left in 2010. The uh, reason reported at the time is, you know, he was seeking, you know, other employment opportunities. Um, but the Blackhawks helped him get other jobs. Um, and I mean, in high school with kids, and then it went on to happen again. So it goes beyond just, you know, these allegations. It's not just a cover-up, but um, they helped him. They helped him get these other jobs. And it just, that's fascinating. Uh, it's appalling that I think the NHL isn't, they don't have a private, their own independent investigation going. There's the lawsuits and all, but uh, Bill Daly has said that, you know, they aren't having their own investigation against the Blackhawks or anyone involved, which... It's shocking because some of those people are still in, uh, you know, the management are still working in the league and are still working for um, the Blackhawks. I mean, if you read the the initial uh, lawsuit, it's the, the players, they came to the skills coach, Paul Vincent, about um, the alleged assault. And then uh, Vincent, he, Rick Westhead with TSN, he's, he's been all over this. Um, he spoke with Vincent and Vincent said he took this to uh, management. There's a meeting with... Um, John uh, McDonough, who was then the president at the time, um, Al McIsaac, who was the director of hockey administration, then vice president of hockey operations, Stan Bowman, um, and team sports psychologist, James Gary. Uh, but I mean, McIsaac and Bowman, they're both still with the Hawks. Um, and the idea that, you know, the NHL is investigating this, because I think if, if you were involved in covering this up, um, helping that guy get other jobs, you should not be working in the league. And that the idea that the NHL isn't looking into this, um, and the people that are involved is, is just crazy. Dave, your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, I can't help but think how this is just the latest in a, in a series of the, these things going back at least into the 80s. Uh, 
people might remember Graham James, the uh, yep. Western Hockey League coach who ended up in doing uh, a lot of hard time in prison after you know, uh, abusing uh, Theo Fleury, among others, who were played on his junior team. It's beyond appalling and outrageous. And, and the fact that the league isn't tearing this whole issue apart, you know, bit by bit is beyond outrageous. I mean, I mentioned it in my story that, you know, they launched a full investigation into the Coyotes for conducting fitness testing before the 2020 combine and, you know, took away draft picks. And, the idea, you know, the, the, they'll go, they'll put those resources into, you know, investigating the Coyotes, violating fitness testing rules, but they're just, you know, keeping silent on this is crazy. They, they want it to be swept under the rug. They want people to stop talking about it. And I think they're hoping it'll just be, it'll blow over and everyone will forget about it. But um, I think it, talking about it so it doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's exactly and that the silence is what feeds this stuff, right? This is the the, the very silence is is kind of allows this to you know for, you know the, these these type of situations to escalate and and uh, people like this to kind of keep getting away with it. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with both of you. The NHL needs to kind of step in here and really you know. A, a, Again, they should be an independent art, uh, investigator in, in in what's going on. I know the Blackhawks have now, I guess, have hired someone to look in this, but this is something. I mean, this isn't something that just happened, right? It's, we're, we're talking about 2010. No, well, and the the guy the Blackhawks hired uh, represented represented US uh, USA Gymnastics and their whole scandal, which is kind of interesting that uh, that's who they're now hiring to look into this. Um, but I, I think. It, it's it's shocking to me that he's his name is still on the Stanley Cup. Um, the NHL is they've been asked about that, you know, because the Hockey Hall of Fame they have the the power to you know take names off the cup. Um, that hasn't happened yet, and now these allegations just can't came out now publicly. But um, back, you know, I mentioned the lawsuit against the um, from the guy the the kid who was 16 at the time, but back in 2013. Um, Aldrich was charged and convicted of criminal sexual conduct related to an incident with a 17-year-old player he coached, and he served nine months in prison. So it's been known for, for a long time that, you know, this guy, at, at least that, and for, for, you know, his name to at least still be on the cup right now is, is insane. That's like that's so small in the, in the grand scheme of things, but um, I think it's just symbolic that, you know, about how they're just letting this go on. Can I ask one question? Uh, not to certainly not to absolve anybody from the Chicago front office of any responsibility for any of this, but how come none of the people to whom this was a quote, open secret, unquote, went to the police? Yeah. That's... You know, if this was known team wide, you know, if everybody was aware of it, you know, okay, I, I can see why you might think that the people in charge should be the ones doing this, but when you saw that they weren't acting on it, you know, yeah, why, a, why couldn't a player have approached the police even uh, anonymously? I, I think I, so I'm, I'm reluctant to say any of the players because if you, uh, the uh, culture is just, so Alder, he, it, it's also in this first lawsuit that he was threatening the players, um, you know, after this happened to try to keep them quiet. And I think, 
just the culture in hockey and, and I mean, maybe sports in general, but the, the idea that if you, you know, come forward and you're, they don't want to be a distraction. Cause that could be, that could, you know, that could ruin them. I, cause I mean, what we've seen before, um, the, like, like Akeem Alou, when the, the race that was, that was racism, but, um, you know, he got buried in the minors, um, kind of after he, uh, Rose issues, and I think players have um, uh, th- they could have been fearful of that. But I mean, Paul Vincent, the skills coach who reported this to the administration, he I think I believe he was a former cop. Like he, uh, I don't know why he didn't. Uh, Vincent did also say that you know after he had this meeting with uh, management and uh, they did nothing that he did. He did also go to the uh, assistant coaches, um, neither of whom are with the Blackhawks. I'm not sure what they're doing now. Um, but one of the assistant coaches did confirm that, like, yeah, Vincent told us about what was going on. Um, the open secret comment specifically came from, like, a, a marketing official um, with the team who said that, you know, like, so even beyond, like, hockey operations, yeah, um, this was, well, you know, well known. So it, there are a lot of people that could have. I, I, I wouldn't say any of the, the players should have. But, I mean, the skills coach or any of the other coaches, um, if, you know, management didn't, I, I think they could have. And sorry, I'm just not going to let the players off the hook that easily. I just, you know. Well, yeah, it's your. I mean, you're you're right. It's it's everybody. It's 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 this whole uh, frustrating, really. You no, know, if if in fact that's the culture, and I'm certainly not disputing it, yeah. then there's something very wrong with the culture. And it's and it's it's you know again. I think we are in you two, especially me, for years covering hockey. It seems like this happens in hockey more so in other sports. I know we all know we we live in the state of Pennsylvania. You guys do. Uh, we we li- we've lived through the, the the Sandusky thing and the what happened at Penn State uh, here in Columbus uh, with a doctor uh, in, in a medical guy or team team physician for Ohio State kids. It's happened, but my goodness, it it seems like it's happened a lot in hockey. And this is something that has to be, I don't know how you address it, but you're right, Dave, uh, and, and Taylor, to your, your guys are both right. But, but at some point, somewhere along the way, it's somebody should have had spoken. And, and if, especially if other players knew about it, not just the players. One of the things we don't know is who the players were, because you would think if it were somebody who was very established player they may have had more willingness to speak as opposed to someone if it was just some kid that was up from the minors whatever we don't know but if other players did know you're to your point dave you're right that they should have they somebody should have spoken up and if 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 management wasn't going to do it they could have done it well so uh, the, the player did even go um the one that filed the lawsuit did go to the NHLPA. So after the team did nothing, went to the NHLPA and the NHLPA declined to get involved. They said that, um, you know, this was a matter just between that, that player and the, and the team. So that is also, and I don't know who you would blame for that with the NHLPA. This was during a period when they did not have an executive director. Um, uh, they didn't ha- it was from like August, 2009 to December, 2010. There was, uh, there was no director of the NHLPA. Um, so I don't know who that would go back to. But the idea that you know the the team did nothing, the player did try to take it to someone to another organization. I mean the union, and that they also didn't do anything. Um, that's that's shocking. Uh, yeah, and these players, I mean, it's been so, so they're not in the league anymore. So 
probably not any of these, um, you know, the big names. But if if it is, you know, a guy, like you said, who's not established uh, or the players that know aren't, you know, established, there would have been that fear of, you know, if, if I raise this issue and draw attention to myself, then I that could be the end of my career. Um, so yeah. I, I, I still don't well, it's a culture. It's what it is, is. It's just a culture of fear. You're you're, yeah. you're you're afraid to be the person that 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 rats out somebody, even though the allegations are so appalling. To go back to your words, uh, yeah. I, again, hopefully we don't have to deal with this again, but I, I I bet you we do. It's just it's and it's not just hockey, of course. You know, it goes on in all parts of society. But man, this is an ugly story, and, and I don't think it's going away, and it shouldn't. All right, I'll bet we, that guy felt really good about paying his union dues. Oh my mm -hmm. God. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will have uh, the Tampa Bay insider, Eric Erlinson, uh, to join us uh, in, to preview the Stanley Cup. Uh, please stay with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, we are being joined by the Lightning Insider, Eric Erlinson. Eric, how are you doing today? You, uh, I, I'm good. Tom, Dave, Taylor, it's good to be on with you guys. Um, exciting time around here. It's uh, very unprecedented in Tampa Bay sports history to have the run of success with the Lightning winning the Cup in 2020 in the bubble and the Bucks winning the Super Bowl at home and now the Lightning back in the Stanley Cup and the Rays with success and even the soccer team here, the Rowdies, have had a ton of success. It's a uh, it's a great time to be a Tampa Bay sports fan. It's a great time to also jump on the uh, Lightning Insider bandwagon. Eric, Eric does a great job with it. I know it's it's been around for like four years, and you, you guys have certainly, as you just laid out, had a ton of content and a ton of success with the team over the last couple of years. So, uh, great time to get aboard uh, Eric's website. Eric, uh, let's start in goal, and uh, that's a big matchup, but. Uh, fans here in Pittsburgh will remember Vasilevsky kind of came of age in the big stage in 2016 against the Penguins. He kind of came in in relief of, of Ben Bishop and played really well, took him to seven games before they bowed out that season. How has his game evolved in recent years to where he has become one of the best goalies in the world? Well, he really works at his game. Uh, and in fact, the last few years as he's been the number one guy here on a full-time basis they've had to scale back his workload he works too much almost so they've kind of had to pull him off of morning skates and you know hold him out of practices and in, in some of those aspects but uh he is he's become such a calm presence in his net and, and that's a hard thing i think for goaltenders to learn is to understand that less motion is actually more beneficial to you. And all you got to do is look at the guy who's opposite Vasilevsky in this series and Carey Price, who's mastered that. Um, and Vasilevsky, a little bit taller than Carey Price, uh, maybe a tad more athletic than Carey Price, can still make those athletic saves. But it's it's the understanding to be calm in his crease and his presence in the paint uh, that has really kind of helped lead him to uh, his four straight years. He's been a Vezina finalist. Uh, we'll find out in a few days if he won the award this year, um, but he's just become uh, such a steady rock for this team. And, you know, even, you know, they were, they had such a high risk in their game before with all the offense and the ability to score goals. They kind of taken some of that risk out of their game and taking some pressure off him to save them, but he's still capable of that. And 
Uh, boy, I tell you, he's just been a joy to watch and grow in, in the four years since he's been the number one guy here. Eric, does, does, you know, Tampa just came off a, a really tough series with the Islanders, uh, seven games, uh, you know, a really taut one nothing win uh, to, to send these guys back into the finals. I'm wondering, does that series against the Islanders, a team that plays, tries to clog the neutral zone, that really makes you be patient in your attack, does that help at least set up a little bit of what the, what the Canadians bring? Because they're not as, maybe as heavy a team as the Islanders, but they do play a similar, a bit of a similar style, do they not? They do, and it's actually very, very similar. And, and it was interesting, Tampa Bay goes from playing Carolina in round two is the exact opposite, try and force you into turnovers by being high pressure and you know pressuring the puck as much as they do. Then you had to switch some of the tactics to the Islanders where you know they want you to hold on to the puck longer. They want you to think that there's areas where you can get the puck up the ice and then take it away from you and counterattack. It's sort of very similar to what Montreal has played. Uh, I'm I'm still never going to be able to get over the fact that this is a, a division rival in normal years uh, with Montreal. Uh, but there's a lot of different personnel changes that the Canadians have made since Tampa Bay last faced them somewhere on January or February of last season. But they've kind of played the same way where they slow the game down. Um, they want you to make mistakes. And what they have now that they, maybe they didn't have last year is the game breakers, right? Like they got a guy like Cole Caulfield who the lighting haven't seen before. They've only seen him on tape and the speed and, you know, the scoring element that he can bring and he's shown in this playoffs. And Nick Suzuki has kind of come alive uh, here after being a, a high draft pick of, of Vegas a number of years ago. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's going to be imperative on Tampa Bay to be patient, but not too patient and uh, try and feel their way and get a, get an understanding of how close the Canadians play to how the Islanders want to play. And if that's the case, there should be a, at least a blueprint in place for Tampa Bay to attack this Montreal team. Eric, who do you think has uh, the advantage in, in this final series, the Lightning's power play or the Canadians' uh, PK? What do you think about that matchup? Uh, can I wait and see how healthy Nikita Kucherov is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question. Do you have any idea what percentage he's at in terms of health? Um, if he's anywhere close to 100%, then he's probably not. But if he is, uh, Tampa Bay's ability to set up in the zone and how they can move the puck and – the weapons they have. I mean, if you want to try and take away Kucherov on the right circle, well, he'll find Braden Point in the bumper spot. You want to take away the middle part of the ice, he'll find Steven Stamkos across the ice. Oh, by the way, you've got Victor Hedman uh, up at the top who can kind of run things from there. It's going to be very interesting to see what they can do. I mean, the equalizer is Carey Price in net. There's no doubt. I mean, his save percentage on the PK in the playoffs is just astronomically ridiculous in what he's been able to do. Uh, but, you know, when a power play is clipping at 35 40% like Tampa Bay's has in this postseason, and, and the other thing to keep an eye on is how many penalties will actually be called. We all know the whistles later in the playoffs tend to be a little bit less and less. Uh, they don't want the special teams to be a factor, uh, even though it ended up being the only factor in game seven with the shorthanded goal. Uh, but I would have to give a slight edge probably to Montreal's PK because they are feeling good. They understand how to play structurally. And then when you got Price in that, it makes a difference. Uh, Eric, you, you mentioned Price a couple of times there. Uh, when a guy's playing at the level he has in in these playoffs, he can get inside the heads of uh, of opponents at times. Is that a danger for the Lightning, or do you think a team with their not only talent level but 
their experience in high stakes games will be able to kind of get past that. Yeah, it's. I would have said two years ago, maybe you could get inside their heads, as, as Tom knows from what Columbus did against Tampa Bay. Uh, but after what they went through last year, it's going to be hard to have any sort of a psychological advantage, as good as Carey Price has been. Uh, they're so deep in the number of guys who can score goals. Obviously, Braden Point gets a lot of the attention because he has been the main producer on the offensive side in terms of goal production. But they've got other guys who can score uh, and look, they've had success against Carey Price in the past. You know, they understand. I, mean, I think Steven Stamkos has 20 career goals against Carey Price more than any other goaltender he's faced in his career. So uh, I don't think that Carey Price will be in their head to start the series. Now, he could play well enough as the series goes on to change that sort of thought process. But I, I think that the Lightning are very comfortable and confident with what they can do with the offensive weapons they have. I think I think it says a lot about the Lightning that we were this deep into the discussion before Steven Stamkos' name was mentioned for the first time. Uh, and I don't think it's a reach to suggest that Tampa Bay has established itself as a, uh, a pretty dominant team in recent years. So let me put you on the spot here, Eric. If you had to pick the best team in the league over the past decade, would you go with the Hawks, the Kings, the Lightning, or the Penguins? <laughs> oh boy. Um, if you just want to go on pure success, I mean, the Cox have the three cups, right? And Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, and the, the top four demon they had between Duncan Keith and uh, Brent Seabrook and Sharmelson and Johnny Oduya. Those are such difficult teams to play against. I like you saw that firsthand in 2015 when they were up two one in that series. Um, yeah, I, I would just, of course, Blackhawks have then stumbled the last couple of years. Boy, Dan, that is really putting me on the spot. Um, I would just have to go with Chicago because of the three cups. I mean, the Lightning have had plenty of success, but they've only had the one ultimate success, and I think that's what we probably judge a lot of this on, right? Well, you judge it on whatever you think it should be judged on, Eric. <laughs> well, well, good stuff, Eric. Enjoy, enjoy the uh, enjoy the finals. You'll get about like about 48 hours off and then you're going to get get started toward next season. That's the joy of, of covering long playoff runs, right? Uh, it, it's the, what is it, the blessing and a curse both at the same time, <laughs> especially this year. I mean, everything's going to be so cramped in. I mean, you're going to get done with a final and then you've got the expansion draft and then the draft and free agency. And normally you get July and August uh, this year, you're going to get August and it's going to be right back to training camp. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very, very compacted schedule to try and get things back on track. And uh, you think of the number of games the Lightning players have played. You know, nobody's played more games than the Lightning in the last calendar year, starting from, you know, the bubble last year. So uh, they're going to need plenty of time to rest, and they're not going to get it. Yeah. But they'll take a championship. Don't don't worry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Then, they can, then. then we can tell then, – then if they win it again, we can talk the parallels of the Penguins from yeah. a couple of years ago and – how how they uh, how hard it was to win three in a row. Hey Eric, thanks a lot. Lightning Insider, uh, people that, that 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 love hockey and want to know more about the that uh, championship team uh, that, that that won last year and is going back this year. Check out that website. Uh, Eric does a fantastic job, and that's going to be it for us today for uh, Dave Molinari and for Taylor Haas. Uh, this is Tom Reed, and we will see you a little bit later in the week on the 66 to 87 podcast.